Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. This is Nicolene Peck. I don't even know my name. And I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Peck Baumert. Okay, the last name is spelled P E C K, not P E C T. Or C K E D. Like like a birdie pecks something, you know. I, it didn't happen. I'm not past tense. I'm in the present. Anyway, so welcome to the Teaching Self Government Podcast. Today we are talking about the difference that parenting can make in troubling behaviors. Practice does make a difference in what we do with our parenting. And when we mean practice, we mean what you do. So there's principle and there's practice. And hopefully your principle and your practice are matching. They are together. And what you are doing for those parenting interactions absolutely makes a difference in behaviors like well, every behavior, but behaviors like the difficult ones, like ADD, ADHD, OCD, RAD, all of those ones that are like, uh, there's nothing for this, you know, schizophrenia, whatever, compulsive behaviors, um, kleptomania. You feel like we cannot get out of this. There is a way, and we're going to talk about that in the podcast today. But first, as is tradition, we are going to share with you a fun family activity idea for this week. Paige, what kind of a family activity do you have? What are you doing at your place? So Joseph and I, we are going to be making holiday decorations. Our apartment complex is having a contest on who can have the best Halloween decorated front door. Love that. Okay, so our family, we did decorated front doors. Yes. And there was a decorated door thing that we did back when you guys were little. And it said, it's autumn time. Because I'm not, I'm not like actually a huge Halloween fan. I don't know why. Not I don't really know if either. my mom overdid it. Because she was. Well, she loves Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think, um, well, there's probably multiple reasons why I'm not actually a huge Halloween fan. It's just not my favorite holiday and so I've never gotten way into it but there was this time where I was like well we need to do something for fall though because like I love to celebrate fall and the harvest and everything and so we got plastic tablecloths like just the one dollar the- kind yeah the kinds that are one dollar that are all different colors that you can get for for a party that you just throw away they're disposable we got those we cut them all up in different shapes and we cut pumpkins and leaves and all kinds of different things and we put them on one of them and we taped them all on with like i think we took packaging tape and we like laminated the thing yeah like either we, that or we, contact paper it might have been contact paper i think it could have been packaging tape anyway we just taped it all the way across it was the coolest front door decoration and it covered the entire door and no one had ever seen anything like it and it was not just a printed thing you know like you get from the store it was like we did it ourselves. it was really fun Anyway, making your own holiday decorations is a blast. Carve the pumpkins because, you know, who doesn't love to carve the pumpkins? That's fun. <laughs> Do the, you know, make your decorations. But if you can think of something else, it's kind of like 
let's do this. You know, maybe you haven't done it before. Um, Make something fun as a family. And we'll probably talk more as we get into the holidays here about other things that you can do for some fun holiday decorations and ideas for family. But today, door decorations. Like it, Paige. That's a good one. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. So we are going to be talking about um, how different types of parenting affects behaviors. Specifically, we're going to be discussing some behaviors that some people might consider a little bit more intense or troubling, a little bit more time intensive. And so those would be behaviors, like I mentioned before, ADHD, OCD, ODD, RAD, stuff like that, um, that people feel like, well, nothing can work for this. This is just what they have and this is how it is. And we are going to be looking at that problem through the lens of self-government. As always on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we look through the lens of self-government. Self-government is a principle. And so this is something that is just there, wherever, you know, no matter if you choose to be self-governed or not, self-government exists and can be something that you choose to partake of or live according to, because it's just one of those truths that's there. And the truth is that you actually have power to control yourself. Now, sometimes it might be harder than others because you might have a habit that's more formed than other people do. Um, You might have a a way that you process that makes things a little bit difficult for you, where it's not difficult for other people. We're all so different from each other. But the principle of self-government is that if you choose to, you can make progress of becoming the better version of yourself, the version that you want to become. So that's what it means to govern yourself, to take proactive steps to become the type of person you want to be. So um, Paige, sometimes people come to me and they'll say, well, you know, I mean, this is really great. If your kids were normal, you know, maybe they do this, but my child is not normal. My child has ODD and ADHD. And I, I don't even know if all this self-government stuff can even help. Can you even help me if I have a child like that? Would it even work? And what would you say to them if they said something like that to you? I would say, oh, for sure. In my mind, I'd be thinking, oh, honey, there's so much you can do. If you just choose to accept this, then yes, there are things that you can do that I can help you with. I personally can't do anything, but... <laughs> Um, I would say yes. That's true. We can't, we can't change somebody else's child. Right. Right. And we can't even change somebody else. Right. But we can give skills that can help anyone with anything, any pre-existing condition to become self-governed because that's a skill. Um, And just like, you know, anything, it's something that has to be learned. You're not necessarily born with, the gift of self-government. So it it has to be learned and that comes through skills. Yeah. But what if somebody just, it's, they're just genetic, you know, they're just like, but I'm genetically, I mean, we know in our family, you can do stuff, right? Because we had foster children stay with us who had things written on their chart, you know, impulse control problems, meaning they don't control their impulse as well. Sensory issues, OCDs, ODD, ADHD, RAD, um, FAS, 
you know, all kinds of different things that people were dealing with. And we know they made progress in our home. So why? Why do they make progress in our home? I mean, if somebody said to you, Paige, yeah, but this is genetic, Paige. Like this is, there are multiple people in our family. My husband is, it has autism and now my son has autism or I have ADHD and my daughter has ADHD. I didn't even know I had ADHD, but I do. And so if it's genetic, I can't really do anything about it. What if they said that? I mean, I know you've been studying some things about this. What would you share with them? Right. So I would say, yes, genetics do play a role to some extent, but those genetics are how children um, deal with or respond to those genetic things are an outcome of what happens in the home. And so um, studies have actually been shown that, um, you know, different uh, environments in the home can play a role in, you know, how a children or how a child behaves, especially children who do have those genetic um, factors. Yeah. So there's a really good example of that. And that is that the parent that says, I just found out that my child has ADHD. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think I have ADHD too, but I never knew. And they'll be like, <laughs> I never knew, but now I know. I think I have that. Yeah. I do still have that. And they'll say that. And every time that they say that, I think, what awesome parents you had then. Because <laughs> your parents, I mean, that wasn't something that was diagnosed back then. It wasn't right. something that everybody talked about. The parent just looked at the child and said, well, They seem to process things just a little bit different. They seem to be just a little bit more active than other children. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to do to handle that. I'm going to teach them patience. I'm going to teach them how to sit still. I'm going to teach them this, 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 this. And they just made a plan for how to teach that child. They, they looked at, okay, what, what is the disposition or the temperament of my child? And how am I going to help them succeed the best? They didn't put their child in a box and say, you clearly are abnormal. So I can't do anything with you. No, no, no. They did (laughs) not give up. And no, no parents. I'm not saying parents are giving up nowadays either. So please don't get me wrong. I do think some parents get tired. They get worn out with difficulties. And we seem to have more difficulties nowadays than we've ever seen before. So take a a hard look at your child's disposition and temperament and saying, okay, so what do I need to just know about them a little bit? And I think that's probably the one thing that a diagnosis can help you with. Okay. So some people are like, well, I just want to know. So I'm going to get a diagnosis because I tell people whether you get diagnosed or not, like the the answer is the same. You've got to teach the child how to have self-control. Right. But some people, they get those diagnoses for their children and it completely changes everything in their mind. So sometimes they think, oh, you know, it's just the way that my child is because of this diagnosis, you know, and so nothing I do is going to be able to help. But there's actually something that I was reading in one of my books. Um, It's called Successful Marriages and Families, and it's done by BYU. Um, But it says, 
casual attributions that assign primary responsibility for child outcomes to genetic factors, the effect of which parents believe they cannot change, undermine parents' beliefs in their own effectiveness, whereas parents' attribution of responsibility for their children's outcomes to parents' own actions is associated with more effective caregiving, which in turn is associated with more positive child outcomes. Mm. which I think is really, really interesting because when parents get that diagnosis for their child, they can go either way. They can go, oh my gosh, they have this, which, you know, could be, which means that they have a little bit more of a learning curve to have, but that's okay because we have these skills. Or they could go, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. This is why they're acting this way. And so that's just how it's going to be forever. And so Mm -hmm. then they just kind of go lax on their parenting and they just deal with whatever because they're like, well, that's just how the child is. Well, because we have to be honest about something. And that is that when you have a child who processes differently than the run of the mill person, whatever that means, we're also different anyway. But <laughs> if you, but if you have a child who processes in a way that is not the usual, it takes a lot more work. So it does. The effort train them goes up. Because maybe they have higher anxiety because of the way they process, or maybe, you know, their chemicals are doing something different. You know, maybe they've got a food allergy or Lyme disease, or, you know, there's all these different things that people deal with that their child might have processing changes because of. And so it's like an endurance test for the parents. You know, I think a lot of people will come to teaching self-government and they'll say, okay, she worked with these really hard foster children and they all came to her house and they all changed in such dramatic ways. And so I need to just go do that class and then my child's going to be fixed. It's got to happen. Otherwise it's impossible to fix my child. And they like kind of put that bar on it. And really, I mean, I worked with these children in my home for months and months and months and months and years to help them conquer some of these problems. And sometimes even when they left my home, they weren't a hundred percent perfect yet. They still had work to do at the next placement that they would go to, which was a step down from the placement at my house. So we just got them on track and then had to train the next people that would take them or the parents that they were going to transition back home to. We had to train them how to do what it was that we were doing so that they could maintain that consistency for that child because it's vital. Yeah. No, they're, they're actually talking about it. Huge. Yeah. They're talking about it in this. Someone did a study. It says genetic predisposition for mental illness may be manifest or not, depending on whether family conditions act as a trigger or not. So I'm assuming a lot of those children were in the foster care system because their family environment was triggering them into these negative behaviors and mindsets. Yeah. I mean, some of them had abuse, which then created triggers. Right. But then some of them were just not parented. It was just really apathetic, permissive parenting. And so they got into all kinds of trouble. Um, And some of them, it was like, whoa, they process in that this way. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how. So they let the child just take over and run wild. And soon the child became sometimes not always, but sometimes a menace to society or a danger 
to other people. And so then they would have to be removed, you know, because yeah. they made such big decisions. And so, and that's what every parent's afraid of, especially if, if they've got a child who processes a little bit differently, they're like, oh, I don't want my child to be a menace to society. So do I just let them be and not create any stress for them? Or do I just really get on it and like, just get going? And, and, you know, the answer is be principled teach them the skills that they need stay calm because those principles are really what provide function for mm-hmm. a family but be consistent like right. you were talking Consistency about is huge and so it was funny because they they talk about how um this association with um genetic predispositions and family conditions um it was only evident if at-risk children were adopted into dysfunctional families Children who were adopted into functional families largely demonstrated healthy development. Okay, so that was really interesting. This is super interesting because this does prove that the parent or the condition of the parent makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So if the parent is confident in their role as a parent and they know what they were doing, then the effect that that has on the child is drastically different than the parent who's like, ah, and overwhelmed and, and stressed out and reactive and angry. And well, then that child's going to be angry and reactive. And, Cause lots of times when children are having some processing disorders, they're more reactive. So if a parent is sure. reactive in a negative way, then the child's going to feed on that every time. But if the parent is calm, confident, consistent, principled, speaks to the person in a way it's like that, this is what happened, that I know this doesn't need to be a problem in the future. Let's move this. Let's make this change. Let's learn this new thing. And they do a lot of training, okay, of the proper principles. They pre-teach the correct way of doing things. Then that child has this feeling of, oh, I can feed off this confidence. They don't even know they're doing it, but because Mm -hmm. they're reactive, they just react more confidently. They see things more logically. They stop being as emotional because that's what the parent is doing too. So that the way that you are as a parent, if you are self-governed as a parent, the chance that your child will be self-governed goes way, 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 way up. Oh yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. No, something else I was reading later on this, um, article that was compiled it's an amazing article um but the writer says that uh, parental influence can significantly interact with genetic predispositions and other environmental influences to help shape behavior parents should follow counsel to study their children's dispositions and temperament and deal with them accordingly so parenting can really buffer children from i guess what you could call genetic risk so genes you know they really do matter but they don't function in a vacuum. Um, He says gene by environment interaction is the norm. Yeah. So maybe there is a genetic thing because we know that can be the case. Maybe Mm -hmm. Maybe they really were born that way. But that doesn't mean you don't do anything, right? Right. You go, well, but I think I'll help them. Just like any other generation before that never knew about autism or that never knew about whatever it is. They didn't know. So they just helped the person. And they just tried to help them develop as many skills as possible. And you just help them carry on. Now, I know 
this can be an overwhelming thing for parents. It really can. And, um, mm-hmm. But there are steps that can be taken to help. And I think one of the biggest ones he also touches on, um, there, are, there are so many things in this article that relate to teachers of government. I think it's fantastic. Um, but he says that parents must realize that they have the opportunity to proactively help their children develop positive traits or overcome undesirable tendencies. Children will be most open to instruction when they feel loved and accepted by their parents. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest one because I feel like a lot of times parents who have these children who they feel like they struggle with more than say, you know, quote unquote, normal children, they can tend to feel frustrated a lot more often and a lot easier than um, other parents who don't necessarily have that. Um, and so that frustration can lead to a lack of love for that child. Mm-hmm. Because once you get frustrated, you start being selfish. That's why. Right. You're like, why is this so hard for me? Yeah. Oh, this wears me out every day. Mm-hmm. Can I keep going? Why are they doing this to me? Can't they make some progress? And you know what they will? That's something I can guarantee is that they will make progress, but not everybody progresses at the same speed, right. especially on depending on how they process things. And mm-hmm. so that's the part that is not a fun answer to give to somebody. You know, no. when I look at somebody's situation with their child and I say, you know what, this child's going to test. They're going to push pretty hard. They're going to, they're going to go completely out of control many, many times where this other child over here might never go out of control. They might see the, the one child go out of control and go, that's good enough for me. I'm never doing that. (laughs) I mean like that, you know, because just the differences in the children and, and the one parent who's so overwhelmed by the child that goes out of control all the time, you know, they get that news and they're like, ah, does that mean that all hope is lost? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean all hope is lost. It just means that persistence must be part of your plan. So, and that means that your practice. So the title of this whole podcast is practice does make the difference. Okay. Meaning what you do, do it consistently, do it every time. And it will make a difference over time. Well, it that might helps. be small for some and big for others, but it will make a difference. And then the more and more you keep at it, the more difference it continues to make. That's how learning occurs. Well, and the more you have that practice, the more it helps to, I guess you could say, regulate your reactions to what your child may do. So like, you know, say your child has ADD and they're all over the place or ADHD, you know, and you're, you just, you start reacting to their behaviors. Well, yeah, see, that's the thing is that you and your own self-government is always going to be the number one factor. Mm -hmm. Can you control you? Do you have a plan for you? When we talk about parenting, people think, how am I going to change that child? And that's what they're worried about. But they, what they really need to be worrying about is how do I change myself? Right. Because at the end of the day, do you know who you are? Are you the mother? Are you the father? What does that role mean? Do you have the truths and the principles and the skills that you need? Because those are key. When a person Mm -hmm. is emotional because of anxiety or processing differences or whatever that they're dealing with, they need truths to hold on to. 
They need principles to grab onto and they need someone to constantly point them in that direction. The beautiful thing with the skills that we teach at teaching self-government is they are all Mm -hmm. principle-based. We've got to talk more about principles because I think some people probably think that what we talk about are actually just rules and they're not. (laughs) No, there's lots of principles. So we don't have time to talk about that in this podcast, but next podcast, let's do that next podcast. Okay. Okay. I think that's a smart idea because I'd love for you to know the difference between those two things. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about following instructions, that's a principle somebody learns how to do. Yeah. Accepting no answer is a principle. I love that you talk about principle though, because he mentions that, you know, along with loving your children, there has to be significant instruction, but not just instruction, but instruction in morals and values that a child needs to learn in order to effectively be self-governed. So this learning a lot of times happens uh, in the context of parental reactions to child behavior and misbehavior as parents seek to either praise or correct, which we talk about a lot in self-government. You know, Mm -hmm. we do have to correct children when they behave uh, incorrectly. But along with that, for every one correction, there should be six to 10 praises and practicing, you know, Mm -hmm. practicing of the correct behavior. Mm-hmm. And so that is so important as parents move forward with, you know, trying to parent their, their children that have these um, genetic predispositions. Yeah. Well, and even if your child doesn't have a genetic predisposition, they just have a personality. We can, <laughs> we can, True. That is a thing. Just say, or their personality, you know, which is like, oh, well, so-and-so was strong-willed, well, so is my child, you know. I mean, you don't have to have somebody who has, you know, ODD or, or something. Right. Just a schizophrenia. lovely personality. Yeah, you just have someone who's just unique, you know. We're all unique. That's the way it is. Um but, you know, we do want to bring people to the morals, bring people to the principles. It's super important. But I do have to put a caution in here, and that is lecturing. Don't lecture. Oof, yeah, please don't. Super important not to lecture because they don't listen for very long. And then they feel like you're just controlling and micromanaging and trying to coerce and emotionally manipulate because why does a person lecture they lecture until they see that the child has changed their heart condition of heart so they talk and talk it's like the filibuster they talk and talk and talk and talk until the child has changed their way or is saying i will change my weight that's a manipulation and the child knows it they can feel it sometimes they give into it anyway because they're tired of it but it's just maybe basically wearing them down Mm-hmm. so um so when you're teaching a child about morals and principles it doesn't have to be wordy no in fact a lot of it comes from example of how you live well yeah and and the rationale when you correct behaviors you're always going to give right. a reason why this needs to be corrected and that's going to come in there too you're going to be living proof right of what mm-hmm. of what you teach and and the right way of doing things but also you are going to just be pointing out what is right and what is wrong, even in your own behavior. If all of a sudden you start going out of control and not being calm yourself, then you're going to say, whoa, I need to stop myself. That's not my plan. I'm not <laughs> trying. I, I didn't want to be that way. I, I've got to get back to using my skills and principles. And you know what? If you need skills and these skills that are principle-based skills, 
which is totally different than a rule. And we're going to talk about that next time. I wish I could right now. I'm itching to talk <laughs> about that anyway. But if, if you are in need of skills, principle-based skills that will lead your children to truth, that will help you touch their hearts and help them transform their behaviors, that is where teaching self-government comes in. I mean, that is really like the opus of, of what we've put together. What I've put together for people is, is so that they have the skill sets, the scripts. Amen that they need that are principles that they can use. Yeah. And along with those skills, um, part of the teaching that parents should do and part of the teaching that we do is about roles. Roles in the family are so important. Mm -hmm. Well, because actually they are your role, who you are, your identity in the family Mm -hmm. is actually a truth. Okay. So that's the truth. And if you can realize, wait, what is my identity as mother? What is my identity as father? And it doesn't include things like cook and cleaner and, you know, just person who mows the lawn or whatever, <laughs> you know, those are just responsibilities. Those aren't roles. And I actually have a book called roles, the secret to family business and social success. And if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it because I hope hopefully it will give you a new look at what a role really is, It's a good you know, one. And, and the truth that it gives you as you are parenting and the truth that it gives your children as they are learning from you, they need to know who they are too. It's that important because sometimes we're pushing against who each other really is. If the child is being oppositional and they won't do anything the parent tells them they need to, that's a dysfunction and that's them not acting according to their role and not acknowledging your role. And we've got to get back to that, but we don't have to do it in an aggressive way. And I think that's the biggest thing is that we don't have to be aggressive. We just need to be consistent every time the same following the principles. Just don't be consistently dysfunctional. (laughs) Right. Right. As the wrong kind of consistency. (laughs) Don't be consistent. That's exactly. Be consistently calm, consistently focused, consistently pointed in the right direction. And you know what? It will make a difference, even for the most difficult behaviors. And I, I love, I, I don't even know how many parenting experts out there can say what I can say, because I don't know how many of them have taken in the type of children that I've done. But I'm always so excited that I could look at a person who's dealing with a child on the spectrum who also has like ODD or something, and they could say, there's no way this is going to help. Please, will this even help? And I love that I can look at them and I can say, yes. Because it I've seen does, it happen. It does help. Yeah. Is, is your child going to be perfect tomorrow? No. no. But <laughs> it is predictable, so it will help. You'll say the same thing every time you talk to your child. You will learn how to control yourself as a parent. That alone will make all of the difference, not to react anymore, but to have the words to say for, for an effective correction and what to say when they go out of control you will have a plan, they will have a plan, and it won't mean, and it will mean because there's a family plan that you won't have to do as much um, coercion and manipulation and power struggling anymore. And they're like, okay, I'm going to try it, you know, and I love hearing the success stories that come and it really starts with the parent having the heart pointed in the right direction. Yep. Because in order to teach your child anything, you have to be willing to self-govern yourself first. Mm-hmm. Every time that I answer somebody's question on my teaching self-government support group, people ask me questions every week. And every time I answer anybody's question, I'll tell them, oh, that's this skill. They, you need to use this skill. Here's the steps, you know, and I tell them all. That. But then 
I always say, but the most important thing, the most important thing is that you have the right condition of heart, that you aren't taking it personally, that you are choosing to be calm and you've worked on those calmness skills. That is the most important thing that you're going to talk to them about. When you have a principle-based skill and you point out the step that they missed on it, it makes sense. It's like, oh yeah, I can fix that. It doesn't have to turn into a power struggle because it's principle-based. Amen. You don't, have to, you don't have to talk about everything under the, amen. I didn't even say a prayer, but thanks for giving me an amen. <laughs> anyway. Can I have an amen? <laughs> yes, you may. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, anyway, um, that is uh, our topic for today. Practice does make a difference. And your heart is the most important thing that you can practice pointing in the right direction. There's so much more we can talk about. We're going to add to this next week when we talk about the difference between rules and principles so that you can use some of the teaching self-government principles even better and you can see a whole lot more about the skills that you need and the principles that are going to help you in making those changes in even the most difficult situations with the most difficult behaviors that you're working with and you know what keep having faith in your own ability you can do this somehow someone who is bigger than you saw that you were the perfect person for that child so trust in that trust in that and we will give you more next time to help you on the teaching self-government podcast if you'd like to find out more go to teachingselfgovernment.com bye-bye bye you've been listening to the teaching self-government podcast for more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.